Hey budding lawyers welcome to the podcast today we are going to have a chat with Mr Steve Schwartz Steve is an LSAT coach and the founder of LSAT blog and the LSAT unplugged podcast and Steve has been into LSAT coaching for more than a decade so that's huge and that, so Steve is much uh, senior to me right Steve Yeah I've been doing this for a very very long time since 2005 actually um I was looking to go to law school myself and that's how I got into studying the LSAT and I ended up getting obsessed with it after a lot of struggles. I started off with a perfectly average diagnostic score and through a year of struggles and ups and downs I ended up with a 175 on test day which is the 99th percentile. 99th. So, 99th. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was a, it was a lot a lot a lot of work. I wouldn't wish that journey on anyone but I got the result I wanted in the end and after going on that journey I started teaching the exam because people were asking me how I did it and I ended up getting so into the LSAT and the teaching that I never ended up going to law school myself. Okay so you just gave your LSAT but never went to like you didn't complete the JD JD it's called Correct. There, right? Yeah so I I never ended up doing the JD that's right. Okay so this is this is very interesting i mean uh, you uh, focused on one exam so much that you are thorough with it and that's why you are teaching it but you never went to law school uh, th- this is how an entrepreneur is born i guess right <laughs> yeah well you know it's funny because i start with the lsat blog i just started writing articles sharing what i knew i then started creating guides cheat sheets checklists explanations for all the different exams the lsat's a strange exam because they release almost all of the old test forms so there are nearly 100 practice lsats nearly 10000 lsat questions that one can study which is beneficial but at the same time students get overwhelmed with the amount of material and they want explanations for the problems that give them trouble and so that's part of what i've looked to create and then i now have online courses i have videos i have the podcast you mentioned tons and tons of resources and i'm always creating more i'll have live classes currently five nights a week over zoom and so the volume of material i'm sharing just is without limit and so i couldn't imagine going to law school now because i wouldn't have time to do all of this anymore <laughs> right right <laughs> So uh let's let's uh, get into the exam uh, and its format and stuff. So can you tell us like what is LSAT for whom is this exam and what does it test? Sure. So the LSAT is the law school admission test. It's primarily used in North America to help undergraduate students apply to law school, which is a graduate level degree. So first you could complete your bachelor's in English or history or political science or even mathematics whatever you like you then take this LSAT exam and then you apply for admission to your juris doctorate program which is a graduate level degree after the 4 years of undergrad the LSAT tests some strange subjects that you haven't learned about in university or college typically so it tests logical reasoning it tests analytical reasoning also known as logic games or logic puzzles and reading comprehension but this is not a test of memorization it's not a test of facts it's not like one of those the common law knowledge test sorts of things with general knowledge it's testing your reasoning ability your ability to make inferences and deductions and evaluate arguments so most people haven't encountered anything like this before okay 
can you give any example of this uh, particular sections like logical reasoning or uh, these two three subjects you just recall yeah, sure sure so logical reasoning contain is a section of the exam containing short arguments paragraphs of text where you typically have an argument so a conclusion and the evidence or the premise the reasoning behind that argument that conclusion then you have to evaluate how reasonable is the argument can you strengthen it can you weaken it can you identify what is a necessary assumption underlying the argument what is a flaw in the reasoning so for example let's say there's a town where they decreased the speed limit so they lowered the speed limit and there was a reduction in car accidents hmm. you might then be asked to figure out well is it that the reduction in the speed limit caused the reduction in accidents or could it be a coincidence could be there was a third variable at play that was involved here so figuring out the underlying reasoning the way they went about their argument and looking to strengthen or weaken that line of reasoning is one task they might ask you ask you to perform so we can uh, can we say that lsat is quite similar to plat in india it's only that lsat is uh, the jurisdiction of lsat is different that is mostly north american countries north america and plat is only india right uh, do you know about plat common law admission test which is uh, popular in india uh, which is for the top law universities in india so you have an yeah, idea yeah about i understand it. Yeah, I've heard about it. I've taken a little bit of a look at it. My understanding is that CLAT is testing more of that general knowledge. Is that correct? Mm, no, uh, even I don't have a uh, complete idea about the uh, exam in detail, like what subjects are there and all, but it is similar. But they also have a subject where they test the knowledge of law, like basics of law in Indian law. Uh, don't we have a subject similar subject there in lsat which uh, no there's has... the lsat the lsat does not test law at all it might seem kind of strange for the law school admission test to not test law but the thing is that in north america you're only learning the law once you're already in law school itself so how could they test you on the law if you've never studied the law before in undergraduate in the us and canada as well you could be studying anything so if you studied english or political science or mathematics or biology you wouldn't encounter law specifically so it wouldn't make sense for them to test you on that for admission to the graduate level law degree you only learn those things after the fact my understanding is that in india it's a little bit different where maybe you have learned some law before applying to the law program is that right mm, not really but uh, i mean uh, it's not like a very detailed but the basics of law and a, a particular subject i'm not sure of which subject they are talking about but it's not at an advanced level or intermediate level it's just a beginner level so people can read uh, the relevant sub uh, books and they can get the knowledge and they can answer those questions and i don't think uh, that forms much of the part of that exam like it would be 10% or 20% max that's it Mm -hmm. I see. I see. Okay, so it's not a huge percentage at least. And one thing I should add, especially for your viewers in India, I imagine, is that the LSAT is primarily used in North America in my context, but I do hear from many, many students in India who are taking a special version of the LSAT called LSAT India to use it for law school admissions in India specifically. So while CLAT maybe is the older law admission exam in India, there is also the LSAT India 
which is identical to what I teach, the only for North American students, the only difference with LSAT India is that it is a little bit easier because it's meant for younger students. So again, while those are applying to law school in North America, it's a graduate level exam. They're a little bit older. They've already been through their bachelor's degree. For Indian students taking LSAT India, they're probably in high school or recent graduates. So they're taking an easier version of the LSAT called LSAT India, where you only have easier questions. And there are only four answer choices in the multiple choice rather than five answer choices. So your odds of success are a little bit higher there. Okay. So yeah, I, even I had heard about it. So uh, CLAT, so there are uh, something called national law universities, NLUs in India. So for that CLAT is there, CLAT is the exam for those uh, universities. And I have heard that there are many universities and uh, colleges which take up this LSAT score too for the admissions. So you're talking about that examination, LSAT yes, India. Yes, correct. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good. So if one clears this LSAT in India exam, I didn't know that there's specific LSAT India exam. I just heard that it's LSAT. So I thought if one clears this LSAT, they can apply uh, in Indian universities too, where it is applicable and also in American uh, colleges. It's not like that, right? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not entirely sure of all the details in the Indian situation, but I know that the Law School Admission Council based in the US administers that special version of the LSAT in India, which is meant for undergraduate law admissions in India. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So uh, for, for students coming from other countries, apart from LSAT and some other, uh, some English proficiency tests like IELTS, TOEFL, are there any other requirements like yeah. exams and stuff? There aren't any other exams required, but you also need to submit a variety of different essays. So you have your law school personal statement, you have a law school diversity statement, you have any character and fitness statements, meaning if you've ever been in trouble, you have to disclose that. Hmm. If you, let's see what else, uh, letters of recommendation, you have to submit letters of recommendation from professors or employers. So there are a lot of a lot of other parts of the application for admissions other than the exam results themselves. The yeah, exams that- are, the LSAT's the most important part, but there are other parts too. Hmm, yeah. So these are uh, usually done during the admission procedure starts, but there are only main two exams. One is the English proficiency test, which one has to take uh, and the LSAT, right? These are only the two. Yes. Yes. So the other only exams you would need are the LSAT results themselves. And then law school admission officers don't actually typically require the English proficiency tests, but you may want to share those results as well, at least on your resume to show fluency, but LSAT results and the application essays are typically considered sufficient. Hmm. Okay. So we all know that it takes time to prepare uh, for these exams. So how much time it usually takes to prepare for this exam? And do you have any framework which you recommend? Yeah, I do. So I find that most students spend much too little time preparing for the LSAT. They think it'll be an easy exam that maybe they've encountered some easy exams in the past, but the LSAT is far more difficult than any other exam that students have typically taken up to this point. So rather than spending only one, two, three months, I recommend spending five to six months at least to reach your fullest potential on the exam because the LSAT is the number one most important factor 
in the law school mission process. So it's really worth taking the time to master it. And I've developed a framework for mastering the exam that I call the LASER approach to LSAT studying. LASER is an acronym standing for learning, accuracy, sections, exams, and review. And it's the framework underlying my LSAT study program. Okay. Okay. So do you want to elaborate more on that? Like laser? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So with that laser acronym, again, laser is learning, accuracy, sections, exams, and review. Learning is mastering the theory. So understanding the various sections of the exam, the different question types. So again, the sections are logic games, logical reasoning, and reading comprehension, but there are sub question types within those categories. So having a basic understanding of what the LSAT's going to ask you to do. Then A is for accuracy, which is doing individual questions by type to get a better understanding of the proper perspective from which to view each question. S is for sections, which is doing timed 35-minute sections to work on your pacing. E is for exams and endurance, doing full-length exams to as dry run-throughs for what you'll be doing on test day. And then R is for review to make sure that you thoroughly understand every question you're getting wrong, every question you're having difficulty with. And I have a, a program I call the Socratic review method to help you better drill down into your mistakes. Okay. Okay. So many students, you know, retake these exams for a better school. Uh, what is your view on this? Should they retake it or should they take admission to a college which admits them on their previous school? For North American law school admissions, especially in the U.S., I would always recommend retaking because law schools in the U.S. do not average multiple LSAT scores. They only take the highest. So why wouldn't you retake? If you could do just a few points better by retaking, then you can improve your chances of getting in. Of course, you have to take the exam again, meaning you have to sit for it again. You have to prepare for it for a longer period of time. And I know most people just want to be done with the exams already, but it's the biggest factor in the law school admission process. So why wouldn't you do everything you could to increase your odds of admission? And the LSAT's offered nearly every month now. So if you just stay fresh on the exam and you stay, you stay good on the material and you remember it well for another month or two and you retake, even through luck alone, you could do a few points better. And if you study a lot, you could improve significantly from your previous score. So I, I would always recommend it. Okay. And as you said, it's the highest score, which is counted. So even if yes. you try for the second time and you score lower then the previous score will be counted. Exactly. Mm. So that's, that's fair. One must try. If uh, one is preparing for this exam and simultaneously working somewhere as a full-time employee. So th this is something most people do in India. Uh, how will you guide them in terms of preparation? It's about carving out the time. So if you're studying for the LSAT with a full-time job, as so many people are, then you've got to find the time where you can fit it in and where you can. So maybe that involves waking up early and studying a bit before you begin your workday. Maybe it's during your lunch break. Maybe you have some quiet time at work where you can do a little bit of LSAT work here and there. Maybe you, it's, it's in the evening. You got to squeeze in the time where you can recognize that it may take you a little bit longer to master the material because you can't put in as many hours per week as somebody who doesn't have those obligations. But even just a, a couple of hours every day, or even just one hour every day, could allow you to make plenty of momentum and learn the same in the end. 
And I have study plans to help with that, by the way. So I break out, I break down study plans on all different timelines. If you have one month to study all the way up to six months to study, I have day by day plans laying out exactly what to do every single day over the course of your prep. And so they're meant primarily for those who are only able to study LSAT part-time because most people are working or in school. They can't devote 40 hours per week to nothing but LSAT. And that's okay. Most people are not in that position, but you can still master the exam in the end with just 10 to 15 hours per week, doing a little something every day or almost every day, even if it's just one LSAT problem. Yeah. And if you need motivation, you can watch Gary V videos every morning. So yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Motivational videos can be a big, big help. Hmm. Okay. Uh, are there any common mistakes which LSAT aspirants uh, make during their preparation? Yeah, I would say the biggest one is not putting in enough time. People try to do this in two to three months, but it typically takes five to six months to reach your fullest potential. Another mistake is just taking exam after exam and measuring your results, being happy or sad about them, and then just taking another exam. But you got to slow down and take the time to thoroughly understand your mistakes. What are you getting wrong? Why are you getting it wrong? And how can you ensure that you won't make the same mistake again? So the Socratic review method is meant to help you figure out, was it in the argument? Was it in the question stem? Or was it in the choices? Where did your misunderstanding come from? If it was in the choices, what was the tempting wrong answer? What made it tempting and what made it wrong? For the right answer, what made it seem unappealing and what ultimately makes it correct? So you have these traps of discouragement away from the right answer and traps that encourage you towards the wrong answer. You have to figure out what those traps are and what you're uniquely prone to falling for so that you won't make the same mistake again. Okay, now let's talk something about LSAT Unplugged. You have this podcast named LSAT Unplugged. Uh, what all do you do? Like, uh, it's just like an interview podcast like we have here at, at Budding Lawyers or something else. LSAT Unplugged is a lot of different things. So LSAT Unplugged is, I have a YouTube channel called LSAT Unplugged, a podcast, Facebook group, Instagram, even TikTok. I'm putting out as much information for free as I possibly can. But I also have a live online course including live classes five nights a week. I have a team, team of instructors and teaching assistants. And so I'm aiming to support students in as many ways as possible because this exam is difficult and it's hard to go it alone. So I want to support people however I possibly can. So best of all is to join the course, LSAT Unplugged, so you get access to the live classes via Zoom and the recordings of all the previous full-length classes. But if you're not able to afford it or the time's not right for you to join, that's totally fine you can still benefit a great deal from all the free resources I put out through the LSAT Unplugged channels, like the YouTube channel, the podcast, the social media. And I have interviews on there, but I also have coaching conversations with real students where I'm coaching them live on camera. And you can see exactly what situations different students are in. And you can learn from seeing how I support them through whatever struggles and challenges they're facing. I also release clips from my live classes, I have discussions with current and former law school admission officers. And so I have a lot of different material and just head on over to the LSAT Unplugged YouTube channel and you can get a pretty good bird's eye view, a good snapshot of everything I'm offering there for free. Mm, and that's a good amount of content if one wants to consume regarding LSAT you're putting out. 
okay um any final tips you want to give uh, kind of for each section of lsat to lsat aspirants yeah absolutely so the exam contains three sections logic games logical reasoning and reading comprehension logic games is basically little puzzles also known as analytical reasoning so they might give you these are the most mathematical section of the exam and people are given a set of rules that they're basically expected to diagram and make connections between them but some people i find they think writing down a diagram drawing a picture to help illustrate the information will take far too long and so they end up trying to do everything in their head so my biggest tip there would be make diagrams draw it out don't try to do it all in your head and take a moment to try and make some inferences or connections between the rules before getting into the questions for logical reasoning which is the short bite-sized arguments i would encourage students to with an argument always start by looking for the conclusion find the conclusion then the evidence and go from there it's not just information they're not just looking for you to absorb facts they're mm. looking for you to look at the underlying reasoning structure of the argument then for reading comprehension similar advice where students get too bogged down in the information and the facts and all the details i would encourage them instead to focus on what is the structure of the passage how is the author of the passage laying out their positions and laying out their viewpoints it's never about the information don't just try to memorize everything so this is one question which i ask to every guest podcaster on the show uh, please share an incident from your career which is very memorable to you sure yeah i mean there's apart, not just... apart from that incident where you cl- cl- uh, cleared the exam with 99 percentile so obviously that <laughs> is one of the most memorable one but apart from that yeah it's it certainly was um i think if i think back to a more recent example the biggest thing that comes to mind is really when i changed my class format from being a webinar style where it was more of a lecture with a powerpoint or a lecture with a whiteboard to instead switch to a zoom meeting format where i can actually see everyone on camera and everyone can see each other as well because it really forms that sense of community it's too easy to feel when you're studying for this exam like you're going about it alone in isolation and i think the webinar format over zoom where you can't see the other people it contributes to that because you don't really get the feel that there are other students present but with the meeting format it really is a lot more like a classroom where the students can form connections and i can get to know them better as well in that way and that really creates that community feel where now we have study groups we have discussions i have a group coaching mastermind format in my course as well and so we really get to the underlying struggles that students are truly facing which is oftentimes so much beyond just the exam questions themselves so it's been, really been the biggest game changer for me in those moments every single week i think are really the most memorable that i have hmm that is one thing uh, obviously and also i think there would have been many students who would have come to you and told you that uh, coaching from you have helped them so much uh, that uh, they cleared the exam so even such moments would have been very uh, you know kind of memorable ones for you right absolutely and it really comes through the connections we form in class if i'm some distant figure up on a stage they might not feel like they can approach me to share those kinds of updates i get the emails mm-hmm. still anyway but 
really to have those Zoom calls with people where they update me. They're like, they're so excited to book a call and tell me about their results. Those are my favorite things of all when that happens. Hmm, right. Okay. So we, are co- we have come to the end of the episode. Thanks, Steve, for this informative conversation and sharing your experience with us. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode, then please, please, please share this episode with your friends, your colleagues. And also, you can check out our other episodes available here. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you.